What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. So I've been wanting to do this for a while, and this is a new and improved interview with James Gadsden that happened about two years ago in uh, late 2020. We discussed the stories behind a handful of his most iconic recordings, and it was an honor to say the least. If you don't know who he is, he's one of the godfathers of, well, if not the godfather of the 16th note groove. He's played with Bill Withers, Paul McCartney, the Jackson 5, been on countless Motown records, played with Cheryl Lynn, Charles Wright, and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band, Beck, and many, many more. Like I said, I've wanted to clean this up a bit and improve it, so this is the new version, and it's the version that I think best represents the flow of our conversation. It also has better audio examples and longer audio examples, so I hope you enjoy my walk down memory lane with Sir James Gadsden. Cheers. I got out here, some friends of mine had was, were on the Dean Martin show. They sent for me. And uh, when I got here, I couldn't play their music. I was so into jazz. They were playing R&B, pop R&B. I couldn't play it. So they couldn't use me. So I had to try to hustle around town to try to, uh, you know, to work. And uh, when I'd go to the jazz club, the cat said, man, we don't know you. You can't sit in. I'd be trying to sit in the, you know, the work suit. I had been out here a couple of times previously, and a, there was a famous drummer from New Orleans, John Boudreaux, who had played on Something You Got and a lot of that stuff. I had met him, and he uh, said, man, I'll get you a gig. So he got me a gig with uh, Charles Wright, who was at that time was a left-handed studio's chink guitar player. He played the chinks. And so I joined his band $12 a night. You know, so I'd get on the bus with my drums. It was pretty rough for me for a minute. Until, you know, the band finally got prominence. Bill Cosby helped us, and uh, it became the Watson 103rd Street Rhythm Band. And uh, we had we had a hit, Do Your Thing, you know, and Express Yourself, and Loveland. I sang on that one. I had never worked in a studio, like, you know, the studios they had here. Kansas City, we would make records, but they didn't sound, you know, it wasn't happening. So this turned into a wonderful thing for me to come out to California and be uh, blessed and, and lucky to get into, you know, playing a studio. Hey, current Ben here. All right, here's Express Yourself by Charles Wright and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band with our guest, James Gadsden on drums. Sixteen notes at first. He, everything was like a Motown thing: four on the floor and four mm-hmm. on the snare. 
And so I started using 16 notes and uh, the second patient beats from the bop to bop to bop, you know, a lot of research, doing you know, a lot of research stuff. And so uh, I was able to come up with that rhythm and uh, it worked. You know, I hadn't played R&B in a long time. It changed. It was rock and roll when I was playing it. So it changed. If you notice, the rhythms that I play have a slight jazz overtone, mm -hmm. I would say. And so I, uh, you know, I'd be listening to everything to see how this would uh, correspond within the structure of the dance music that they were doing. All right, next up, we talked about the session for Let a Woman Be a Woman and Let a Man Be a Man by Dyke and the Blazers. Well, I was able to play nine, two, and four all, all the time. I was able to, to syncopate, boom, dip, boom, dip, boom. And, uh, you know, I guess when I was playing jazz, I was freer. And so my style, I don't know how to say it. It, it wasn't just boom, boom, bop, dip, boom, boom, bop. I was variating a lot of different ways. So rhythmically, I felt that away. I had, and I was just learning, getting into the R&B thing. You know, the Dyke and the Blazers thing was a thing called Funky Walk that I played. That was a hit with him. And I had just got to where I could play uh, some syncopation R&B stuff. I had been listening to, to James Brown's music. different things i might play a pattern on my foot and on my you know my left hand the back beat but if you notice the hi-hat does certain things mm -hmm. it does certain things so that hi-hat it you know it talks it gives me for some reason or another it gives me more it makes me feel like i have more freedom anyway you know it's <laughs> it's like i'm stirring up a stirring up something else you know just <laughs> yeah it's 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 just kind of you know a little freedom in a way of speaking slightly freedom you know did different artists give you more freedom than others well you know uh when i left bill withers and the watts band i had to change well i, I did a lot of motown work and so like i wasn't playing a lot of 16 notes uh, one record that I played on the Motown that was a hit record it was called Do It Baby by the Miracles. I think Smokey Robinson had departed from the group and they had a new lead singer. And it, I was playing 16 notes, but it was a very different pattern from what I would normally play. So uh, that and then Motown had a, they had a different formula. You know, the, the fields and stuff, blah, 
the dong dong. And so uh, I'm playing fours a lot of times on a hi hat. So it was it was a little different until they started to say, well, hey, what would you play? I mean, a lot of the, you know, most of the Motown stuff was written out. Oh, okay. written, you know, most of it was written out. Everything was written out. The opening and close hi hats, what times you hit, what what symbols. Everything was written out. All right. Next up, I asked about Dancing Machine by the Jackson Five. Yeah, that one. Uh, I was just getting my reading together. That was, a, you know, it's, the guy had written bomb, bomb. I said boom, 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 boom. I thought I was gonna get fired. If it wasn't on the, uh, you know, the paper. You're talking about that little bass drum flutter you do at the beginning, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, I love that. Boom, 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 yeah. bomb, 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 bomb. So you know, because Motown, they were pretty. Uh, they knew exactly what they wanted to be, you know, the Rangers and everybody it was to the teeth. So I just knew I was fired that day because I would see them. But people came in there and they, didn't, and they didn't cut the part. You know, they had to go right quick. But anyway, the cat said, man, can you do that again? I said, yeah. Dancing, dancing, dancing. She's a dancing Till the music stops now Yeah Okay, t- talking about Dancing Machine, is that, are you doing 16th notes all in the right hand or is that, are you crossing it on that one? No, I'm playing with 16 notes with just my right hand. Gosh, <laughs> that's so fast. That's that's a that's a fun one. Yeah, I had gotten pretty fast. You know, one time I was pretty fast. And see, that comes from that ding, 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 ding you know, playing that ride cymbal, playing that swing. I had gotten pretty fluid with that. Well, let's actually talking about you mentioned Bill Withers. So let's um, I don't want to guide the conversation too much. I just want to make sure that some of these songs do get in there. So use me by Bill Withers uh, from actually the next two songs are going to be from that record from uh, Still Bill. So how again did you meet Bill Withers? I met Bill Withers over at Charles Wright's house. Oh, okay. The guy with, was in the leader of the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band. I met him there. And I think Charles might have managed Bill for a, a week or two or something. I don't know. But uh, I went into the studio with Bill uh, way before we cut those records, and it was awful. We had It was an <laughs> upright bass, me and him. We were just in there. He didn't even have us. He, had, he hadn't even written a song. You know, I didn't play on Ain't No Sunshine. That's the guy from uh, Memphis, Al Jackson, you know. But uh, after Ain't No Sunshine, we got, we, we got together again because the – the uh, one of the arrangers and the trombone player with the Watts band had been working with Bill on his demos that he took to Sussex Records, you know, for Ain't No Sunshine and that, and those things. So they got together again. I think what happened was I don't well I don't know what happened, but anyway, we came you know came in you know my garage. We got we started to uh, you know hooking up stuff. Use me didn't come from that though. Use me I, I was just experimenting. 
you know, I was, you know, we when we were on now, when I was with Bill on the road, we would rehearse. I was in Tacoma, Washington. I remember that. And it used me, I was just experimenting out there, you know, we waiting to rehearse. And he heard that. And when I got, when we got back to Los Angeles, we were supposed to do a session. I think they were going to give him three hours because Booker T. Jones had produced the first record and Booker T. was busy, too busy to produce the second record. I think he was working with uh, the guy, uh, Willie Nelson. And so they gave Bill three hours of studio time and uh, he come and got me. We did about 125 miles an hour down, you know, <laughs> you know, make sure because my car, my battery went down. Oh, no. And we, I played that beat. And uh, it was it was it wasn't a song yet, and he wrote, you know, the lyrics and the melody on top of that. My friends feel as they're appointed. Keep trying to tell me here All you want to do is use me uh-huh, But my answer And uh-huh, all that use me stuff I, 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 I want to spread the news That if it feels it's good we grew for about seven minutes on that beat and they probably uh cut it up at that time they didn't have the digital stuff so they probably cut the tape and did certain things the break you know where the drum break is in there mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's different a little different than the, it's not the same thing all the time so that was uh was pretty cool because then i'm in my zone as they call it you know i'm able to uh play uh play me in a way of speaking sure hey y'all i wanted to (laughs) i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible it's got a 1.5 millimeter shell brass shell with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three-position strainer, 42-strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time, and then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember... Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour, 
and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye and that those the this and the next song is a great example of kind of what i've heard you talk about with charlie wright when he was saying how just listen to the music, don't play fills, just shut up and play, you know? And with, with Bill Weathers, you don't do a lot of fills. You really are just grooving and you're just in the pocket, which is so refreshing. Was that something that you took away from those conversations with, with Charles? Or was that just your lessons you learned in the studio that for that style of music, no one wants to hear Tom fills. They just want to hear funk. <laughs> I didn't hear any Tom fills in that music. I mean, mm -hmm. for what was happening. It seemed like to me, my job was just to groove, you know. And then we had the other one on there, Kissing My Love. Yeah, that's the next one. That uh, was the shuffle at first. And for some reason or another, they, he, he couldn't get it together for, for the bars and the words. For some reason or another, I don't know what it was happening, but it wasn't happening. And so messing around, that was the last song of the day, too, on that album. And I came up with that boom bop bop boom 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 and the 16 notes are swinging if you notice a little bit oh yeah because i'm trying to keep that shuffle thing going for him you know that was another creation in a way of speaking that was uh you know it happened this conversation you sent me the links to this song and i'm curious if it was uh, intentional or not you sent me the link to the live version of this song was there a specific reason for that when we did it uh at carnegie hall we did it slower you know because of the way that he had paced the show you know he had paced the show so it, we did it slower but i i enjoyed playing it better live after we got it together like that I mean, his groove, that was where that was where he was feeling it at, sure. at those tempos. And by him doing the show, I guess, you know, he had to slow things down. But um, I enjoyed playing it more at a slower tempo because 
it seems like I could do more with it in a way of speaking. You know, it's cool to hear you say that because those tempos are uncomfortable for me because they're in that weird. It's not slow enough that you can really have each note be. I'm gonna. I'm kind of butchering the explanation of this. If it's faster, you can mm -hmm. kind of do the like the floaty technique, the molar technique is what I mentioned earlier, which is kind of the push pull on the hi hat, and the slower mm -hmm. one you can kind of every hit has its own little downward motion. But those those tempos for me at least. I feel really insecure playing that tempo because it's just that in between of comfort for me. Um, so it's 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 cool to hear drummers that that's their wheelhouse. I think you could do it. You just have to relax, <laughs> relax. By us playing those things, it it, it goes back to uh, for me for it goes back in a, in a jazz idiom and idiom in, in a way of speaking because you don't know what the tempo's gonna be. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when we were playing, I know when I was playing with Eddie Harris, who was a great fusion guy. Uh, later on, I played with him in the '90s. You know, he uh, wrote uh, some fusion things that are quite known. No telling where he might put the tempo at that night. You know, so I was comfortable wherever it was. Wherever it was that it was cool with me. And that's the thing about it. When you're playing drums, a lot of times, if you if you're relaxed. You know, it, it it'll it'll work a lot of times. You relax and be comfortable. Lot, certain things you just can't force. You have to relax and let them ride. You know, that's what I think was was happening for that. You well, know? you definitely you look so happy and relaxed in that video. And I'm assuming everyone knows the video I'm talking about. It's the performance with "Use Me," "Kissing My Love." Uh, you also have, even though Al Jackson played on the record, I think I most associate "Ain't No Sunshine" with the live version you did with Bill. And yeah, you're just looking off to the side and you're just so relaxed. It's a kind of a Zen way of approach that I try to get to a lot live. By him playing acoustic guitar, uh, we didn't have to play, or we didn't play as, as loud and, and as forceful as we would normally mm -hmm. if, he was, if it was electrics happening. That really had a lot to do with it. That really had a lot to do with it, you know. Do you, I'm do, sorry to cut you off. Though. No, no, I. you can do whatever you want, sir. <laughs> um, with that song specifically, Kissing My Love, I love the groove in general. I mean, the the groove is so pocket and the hi-hat, of course, but every other four bars, you don't play the backbeat on the snare. You do an extra bass drum on four and kind of open up the hi-hat. Right. Was that a conscious effort that you wrote or is that in the moment or is, is that a stylistic thing in funk that I just don't know about? It's a conscious, it was a unconscious effort okay <laughs> i mean we you know we're in the studio it just felt like that because we were trying to come up with something because the shuffle the shuffle we had a you know, he had a straight shuffle it just didn't work it, it was one of those things that evolved it happens yeah you know? and that's why we didn't think nothing you know we didn't think nothing of it next up we talked about the session for got to be real by cheryl lynn we came up with that groove. It was it was it was something that uh had the chord changes, no no type of rhythm idea at all. The day, bass player, God rest his soul, David Shields, he passed away. Yeah, and uh, we came up with that groove, and uh, I think we might have played it twice. Or, um, I think we might have played it once, and uh, it worked. And I remember she said, well, you know, I could have done that. So I, <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't think too much of it, you know, at the time. <laughs> <laughs>
My big takeaway from that one is you do almost no crashes in that song. The only time you do a crash is is in the key change. I think the producer wanted me, I think I overdubbed that. I think the producer wanted me to put the crash. I had gotten into the grooving so deep, I guess you would say, that I really didn't hear any feels coming from me. The feels would like come from bassists. Except that I started making it later on. I had, you know, once I graduated, and I must say I graduated, I learned a lot from working with Motown. Then I was started to uh, put in different feels. I didn't feel a lot, but for some reason or another, I was able to add that in later songs, you know. Can you think of any any kind of no-nos that you hear a lot of younger session guys play that you would have never done back in the day to get all the gigs you did? Well, you know, drumming, there's so many variations of drumming. Now, I probably would have been playing a whole lot of, you know, if had, hadn't I uh, started playing R&B and I had to play simple, more simple. So I think a lot of, you know, I, the young guys sometimes, I mean, they they might be a little bit, they might be too busy sometimes, and there's no pocket. You know, uh, everything should have a pocket, as, as, you know, if you're recording, I would think. Yeah. You know, live is a different thing in sometimes. It's according to what type of music you're playing and it's according to who you're playing for. But uh, I probably would have been busier, <laughs> too, had I learned not to be not to be so busy and you know drum drumming has changed a lot i mean we have a lot of and it's a beautiful thing you know everybody has certain things my my thing is more so grooving but we have a lot of beautiful technicians out there today mm-hmm. and uh and, and it's all it's all good it's all drumming you know it's everybody everybody does what they do you know so uh i just think that uh a lot of times you can tell if if, if guys might be playing a lot of technique and the timing moves strange because they haven't been practicing. So I think that that is a, you know, you have to be careful with that. Well, you know, and you have to practice. I still, I still practice. You have to practice, you know, because drums is a, it's a very spiritual instrument. You know, I mean, it's very, you know, when people have been playing drums for centuries, I mean, before Africa, I mean, you had the Africans, but you had the Norsemen, too, in Europe. I mean, you had, you know, drums are, are, are pretty universal. A lot of people just look at Africa, but, I mean, it's they had European, you know, it's, it's a lot of different things that happen. So and it's a spiritual instrument. So you have to practice to keep just, like, yeah, I guess you would have, like to practice everything else, but, I mean, you're dealing with a force in a way of speaking, so you have to keep. I think you'd have to practice to keep that touch, to keep your touch a certain way. Do you practice rudiments? I've heard you say you practice rudiments a lot, but to get that feel of yours, do you play along to records? Do you play to metronomes? I mean, do you say you do more pad work or would you advocate you got to be on the kit to get that feel? Well, what I do is I practice with the metronome and I play with records and stuff. But I notice if, if it's a certain pattern that I'm going for, a certain feel I'm going for, I will practice that feel until I get it, and then I'll go to the metronome. If you don't know what you're doing, by the time you get, if you're going to play w- with something and you don't know what you're doing, it ain't going <laughs> to 
it ain't gonna be what you want it to be anyway. Like I, I would learn something before I got that uh I got to the metronome so that I can control it. See, that's what happens in, when you're playing different tempos. You can variate a little bit. You can still have that feel in a way of speaking, but you can variate a lot of times. If it's faster, you can variate. If it's slower, you can variate. But, you know, you got to keep control. It's control is the thing. Mm-hmm. Were the Bill uh, the Bill Withers songs recorded to a metronome, or is that just you guys grooving together? Because I know he, you said he would no, sometimes... We, we never used a metronome. I didn't start using metro, metronome until I started working with a, a gentleman by the name of Freddie Parent. I did a lot of, did quite a few hit records with him, you know, reunited and things like that. That felt good with the metronome. A lot of times I'd have to, I had to control with a lot of these different uh, rhythms, but I'd have to play into the metronome. I had to ease into it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I had to ease into it where I can control it and still be there, mm-hmm. where I could play it and, and, and be conscious of it. But for some reason or another, that one, what, whatever uh, BPM he had that day, that felt fantastic. And we did one take, and I said, and usually, you know, it's not cool to talk to the producers because they know what they want. And I and the, <laughs> the uh, contractor was there. He happened to be there. And I said, man, you know what? I said, man, that feels like a hit record. I said, that. I said, I don't know if we need to do that again. And uh, he said, wait a minute, let me see. And I got kind of, you know, I said, well, I'm, uh, maybe I might have talked too much. <laughs> and he, told, he spoke to the producer about it. And the producer came out and said, what did you say? I said, well, man, I was just saying. You know, I said, this felt great, man. I said, I, don't, I think this is a hit record. And uh, that's right. He said, you know what? I'm going to take your word for it. I guess he had already heard it, though. So he knew it was good a lot of times. But sometimes they'll have you to do other things or for safety or whatever it was. But we that was a one, that was a one take uh, song. And uh, it felt so great. I just thought, and I said, man, this, is, this has got to be a hit. And uh, I think it was number one pop, I think so. So, you know, things like that happen. Yeah, you mentioned that you knew that was a hit right away. What? Right. What makes you think that about a song? Like, wh- why do you think that? 
Well, I probably shouldn't have thought that because I had, when we cutting the track, I didn't I didn't know what the melody was, but it felt so good. And I hadn't heard when I when I finally heard the uh, final version because I didn't I didn't hear it until it was on the radio. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of times we go in and cut those tracks, I, we don't hear what goes on top of you know nine chances out of ten very seldom then that we would hear somebody singing along with the, with the track very seldom that happened then so i would hear the finished product on the radio and i said man that's that's a beautiful song you know? it really is i love that song playing along to that one is fun too i know what you mean by the tempo it's just that perfect subdued chill song and i love the way you build the song up with just having the bass drum on the on the four and then you bring out the two and four and then when the snare finally comes in in the uh in in the chorus with those subtle fills that's a that's also a, a great example it's a master class in how to slowly build a song you know just like piece by piece so kudos to you for that song are there any songs you know off the top of your head that you thought were going to be a hit that you played on and you still to this day can't for the life of you be like why wasn't that a hit man I'm, i've been on so many records yeah uh, i did some stuff and it, it never came out i guess with uh and I thought it was great. I never heard it, you know, so, you know. Maybe it'll be some B-side in 10 years it comes out and it'll be the biggest hit in the world. You never know. <laughs> Maybe so. Right. You never know. But, you know, there have been things like that, that uh, the tracks were were great. And sometimes the tracks would, wouldn't be so great and it would be a hit. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, the lady from Hawaii, uh, if I can't have you, I don't want nobody, baby. If I can't have you, I can't yeah. think of her name. She's from Hawaii, I think. I, I know what you're talking about, though. I don't and know her name. I didn't think that that was going to, you know, I didn't think too much of it. Interesting. You know, I just played the music and, and the next thing, you know, it was a hit. So I want to talk about funk R&B drumming, the DVD you put out. How much research did you do in, in prep for that for that DVD? Because you kind of go through each city. You go through New Orleans, Philadelphia, Detroit. Uh, you kind of go through all the different beats. And it's so cool how they're subtle, but you kind of tell the story of how the beats became what they are today. Yeah, what was the backstory in that DVD in the prep? We had played songs from those different uh, parts of the, of the country and different parts of the world. And so... Uh, I had been out all night partying, and uh, <laughs> it just happened—it just happened to come together like that. You know, I, I think I sang on that too, and that, I, I didn't—I didn't think too much of, of the vocals that I did because I was kind of hoarse. I was tired all night. Oh, man. But it was just—you know—in those days, I mean, this was prior to the drum machine. This we kind of before the drum machine came out, and we had these different parts of of our country musically uh it would be different music you know especially the rhythms so uh i would you know everybody was listening to each other now a lot of times you can't tell because they got drum machines and stuff Mm -hmm. but we would be listening to i listened to the guys from stacks and detroit Detroit guys would listen to the you know everybody listen to everybody philadelphia uh, D.C., Atlanta, North Carolina. You know, we listened to, you know, James Brown stuff was really Carolinish. And so, you know, we everybody listened to one another. And uh, I think they still do that. But 
you know, it's changed to where we have technology is in now. And uh, I mean, I I love to play with people, um, and I like to hear the technical. The, the technology stuff is great too. I mean, because hey, man, everything is gonna it's gonna move whether you like it or not. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Evolution is what it is, and so, you know, and I I program things and I do that, but I really like to play. You know, because I'm a drummer. But um, I just, I think the music that, that people play, you play those records, it's a, it's a certain feeling that comes over you. You can relax where the technology uh, thing is, uh, I don't think you would relax as much if you were listening to it. You know, some and some of those records that, you play, that we played uh, are timeless, where in technology, a lot of times, the sounds get older. And you can tell that it's an older sound. It's, it's a little different. You know, it's a little different than when somebody, uh, when a lot of people are playing live. You know, it's, a little, it's, 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 it's quite different. The humanization, a feeling that one would get listening than you would with a technical situation uh, in, in a lot of cases. In some cases, it's cool, but most of the time, the, the humanization that's why people still love to hear the symphony orchestras and and things of that nature because of the grandioso things that happen within the structure of the music that is written you know it's i think you know people feeling one another in that dvd that you put out specifically i think every single one of those beats could be on a song that came out today and it would not feel antiquated it would not feel yeah you're, it's timeless you know, all that stuff is just, it works. And this is also another great segue. You've been helping me out with segues, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> but another song, um, <laughs> it's almost like we planned this. Um, it's Paper Tiger by Beck. And this is a great example of you doing your thing. You just being James Gadsden and it being a timeless drum beat that works on a very contemporary song. So yeah, let's let's, let's talk about Paper Tiger. How'd you, how'd you go about... Uh, getting hooked up with Beck. Well, I love Beck's work. Mm, me too. When I met Beck, I'm, uh, Beck's father recommended me to him. Beck's father is a fantastic uh, arranger, especially arranging strings. Mm -hmm. And uh, he did the string arrangement on that. And uh, I, I had an inkling of what I was going to play, but uh, I that just that was just that just what I felt that night. For that beat, I, you know, because when we when we recorded that, it was uh, just the rhythm and the string section. You know, it might have been just me and the string section. I don't know. I can't remember, but um, I know that um, the stuff that he wrote, you know, for, for me to keep that beat, and the st he wrote so beautiful the stuff that he wrote ar around that. You know, it made it made it happen. You know what I mean? It was just. It was great. I, I, I remember that. Um, so the tuning of that is similar from what I remember from your the, the funk and R&B drumming is it's kind of a dead studio snare drum, but wide open toms. Is that would you consider and then kind of more poofy bass drum? Would you consider that more your style or do you kind of just tune it to whatever the producer wants that day? Well, I kind of tune into whatever the producer wants. And it usually comes to that because of 
the records I played on, and, they, and I guess when they call me, they kind of want that sound. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, live, I like, I have my stuff. It's a little, it, 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 it rings more mm-hmm. when I'm playing live. Just like a paper tiger Torn apart by idle hands Through the helter-skelter morning Fix yourself while you still can No more ashes to ashes So that is the eight songs. We've gone through them all. And thank you so much for taking the time. Man, I had a wonderful time. I had a wonderful time talking with you. It brought back a lot of memory. <laughs> well, that if I could help facilitate that, that, that makes my day. So uh, I, I, I love playing drums to your stuff. And one day I'll be able to play them correctly <laughs> because you have a, such a good feel. And I think, uh, again, that's why this hat makes sense to everyone that sees it. So it's it, it was an honor to talk to you. It truly was. It was an honor to be on your show and, and it's a blessing to be, to have played for, to, to play for somebody and, and for it to be uh, successful. That's a blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at that as a blessing. I really do. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.